Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from the United States, Hungary, the Philippines, and a see you in hell from Nazi and post-war Germany. Starting out this week, as uh, I unfortunately assume you already knew I would, uh, I'm starting by talking about the recent leak of a proposed document from the Supreme Court, a proposed uh, decision by the Supreme Court on a case that would overturn Roe v. Wade, which is the Supreme Court decision that makes abortion legal in the United States. Now, there are many other places where you can get extremely good commentary and analysis about the ins and outs of this case, about abortion law and abortion rights and reproductive justice in the United States. I am not the foremost source on those issues. Uh, I might suggest, for example, Talia Lavin's piece on how the crusade against abortion rights is a holy war. Um, but there are many other places where you can check as well. I'm here to talk about how this ties into an extremely long, like like decades long, effort on the part of the right wing in the United States in order to just reorient politics in this country. For example, the fight against abortion rights is a key part and has always been a key part of the like religious right coalition that the United States saw building since the 1960s. And this coalition was explicitly a cooperation between two previously extremely different and extremely uh, like antagonistic parts of the religious right in the United States. And I'm talking about traditional Catholicism and evangelical or like right-wing conservative Protestantism. Now, in the 19th and early 20th century, these groups of people hated each other. For example, the KKK was originally an anti-Catholic organization, as well as being anti-Semitic and anti-Black and anti-queer. However, Protestant evangelicals and Protestant conservatives in general gradually became incorporated into an emerging family values coalition intentionally as a result of organizing, like dedicated organizing and intellectual work on the part of conservative Catholic ideologues, for example, William Buckley, but also political organizers like Paul Weyrich or Connie Marschner, for example. Now, this coalition produced the right wing that we see today, or at least the, the religious component thereof. And this decision on Roe is the culmination of that organizing. The very existence of somebody like Amy Comey Barrett, the new Supreme Court justice who is part of the coalition that will vote to overturn Roe, or the um, acceptance of Gorsuch or Kavanaugh, for example, is a result of this organizing. I also want to note that a country backsliding on abortion rights is extremely rare and is essentially limited only to countries that are experiencing turns against the left on the part of the extreme right. For example, Poland and Nicaragua are two countries that are experiencing right-wing turns after periods of left-wing government, um, and they are two countries that are currently moving to restrict abortion access in their countries. Finally, the other thing to note about this case that is uh, one of the more disturbing things about it is that the decision, uh, as drafted, is based on the idea that abortion is not a right that people in the United States have historically or by tradition had. Now, first of all, this is false because uh, abortion was made legal in the United States in the 19th century. It was originally legal, or at least not punishable, unrecognized. Uh, by colonial authorities and by early U.S. Uh, officials in the early 19th century. 
But the claim here that the majority of the court seems to be making is that the Constitution only protects long-standing traditional rights. And uh, the ones that the United States has as long-standing traditional rights are essentially those possessed by property-holding white men. Uh, and also, uh, unfortunately, in that context, it went without saying they're talking about cisgender heterosexual men. What this means is that a whole bevy of new rights from, you know, the right of women to vote, to trans rights, to same-sex marriage, or the, the legality of homosexual acts at all are very much up for question here, according to how the court is interpreting the Constitution. Now, that is, of course, bullshit, not only in terms of constitutional law, but also in terms of human rights and just human progress in general, but uh, that's where we are. And if we are going to stop that ideology from taking power in the United States, we're going to have to engage in a decades-long period of organizing in order to meet these people off at the pass and prevent them from taking over the country. Speaking of right-wing people taking over the country, one of the other more disturbing right-wing events in the United States is the victory of J.D. Vance in the Republican nomination fight for the Senate in Ohio. I've spoken of Vance a couple times before on the podcast. He is the author of Hillbilly Elegy. And in the wake of Donald Trump's election, he was, you know, sort of like a uh, like working class whites explainer, you know, like and Hillbilly Elegy came to be a, a beloved book in the sort of like New York Times, like cultural universe for explaining these people and how they might have voted for Trump. He then made a very serious right-wing conservative turn, unsurprisingly, um, and has been producing a lot of extremely terrible campaign material. For example, I highlighted recently a campaign ad of his where he literally, specifically, directly appeals to people who are racist. He says, are you a racist? Well, maybe you should vote for me. Um, he's just not hiding it at all. Uh, he beat the establishment candidates. Uh, it was a three-way race. Uh, he got 30% to their 20%. Uh, he was endorsed by Donald Trump, which was certainly a big help for him. Now, Vance is a very shrewd right-wing political thinker, and uh, the GOP in the state of Ohio is rallying around him for Senate control, like in order to control the United States Senate, in order to prevent Democrats from, for example, passing legislation that would make abortion the law and not just a judicial decision that could be overturned at any minute by nine life-appointed medieval institution people. If J.D. Vance wins the Senate race in Ohio, and even if he loses, uh, it will likely be the beginning of a long right-wing political career for him. So he's uh, unfortunately a name that you're going to have to know. Moving on to the ongoing investigations about the uh, January 6th attempted coup and also the uh, irregularities around how the Trump administration handled the election itself, there's growing evidence of a conspiracy uh, against voting security by Trump allies in key states in the 2020 election. For example, Colorado and Michigan, two states that Trump wanted to win but lost. Uh, there's evidence of Trump allies and Trump appointees and, you know, just like local and state level GOP officials uh, accessing secure data, making copies of things that it's illegal to make copies of, like voting records and, you know, preliminary results. Uh, even there's some evidence of some people impersonating election monitoring officials, like impersonating federal officials in order to get access to election materials. Now, as more and more of this 
mounts, it will become a part of this wider narrative of the Trump administration and its allies trying desperately to hold on to power in 2020 in the wake of their obvious loss. Speaking of this desperate attempt to hold on to power in the wake of obvious loss, there is more news about the coup on January 6th. We now know because of a guilty plea by a member of the Oath Keepers named Wilson. Uh, the Oath Keepers is one of the bigger fascist organizations in the United States and was a major player on January 6th on the ground. Um, Wilson was one of the leaders of the Oath Keepers. Uh, he was meeting with the national leader of the Oath Keepers, a man named Rhodes. Uh, he was meeting with him in a hotel room on January 6th, uh, a hotel room in Washington, D.C., when Rhodes called up an as-yet-unnamed Trump intermediary, uh, and Rhodes was trying to get Trump on the phone on January 6th. Now, this is the leader of a fascist organization in the United States attempting to call the president in the morning of the day when the president organized a self-coup. Now, this is some this is some real smoking gun stuff here. Like, this is the sort of stuff that you can build a legal case that would be the sort of thing that could get somebody like Mark Meadows or Donald Trump behind bars for their involvement in the coup. It's also what we need historically in order to be able to prove what it is that happened as opposed to things that we, you know, just sort of know. Because again, yeah, like we we knew that the Oath Keepers were involved. We knew that they were talking to Trump intermediaries, but here it is on paper. They're admitting it now. This, this is actually quite important. We don't know who the intermediary was. It's possible that we'll learn that later, uh, especially if that person is brought before the Special Investigative Committee on January 6th, or, or if they're brought up on some other criminal charges. Finally, in January 6th news, the state of Georgia is looking into election interference on the part of Trump uh, and also the Republicans in general. They have specifically put together a grand jury investigation that could potentially charge Donald Trump with uh, attempting to interfere with vote counting in that state. Uh, however, the process of making those charges could take a while, possibly as long as a year. Uh, so we're just going to have to hope that they are able to maintain that effort for as long as it's going to take. Moving on to some international news, there has been a claim on the part of a Ukrainian official that Hungary uh, knew about Russia's plan to invade Ukraine and was even promised or asked for some Ukrainian territory. Now, this is extremely interesting because Orban is, in fact, an ally of Putin, uh, whether or not that's like in a sort of like Russian puppeteering type way or just in a like, you know, He's moving away from the EU and the United States, and so he's moving to the next most powerful country in the world, which is Russia, which is also an extremely important trade partner for Hungary. Um, we're just going to have to wait to see if any of this uh, has any legs. Uh, this is a claim that a Ukrainian official has made at this point. Um, this is the sort of thing that uh, will take a long time to be able to prove. Finally, something to keep on your radar for later this week, there will be an election in the Philippines, and uh, Marcos Jr., the uh, son of the former dictator of the Philippines, is almost certainly going to win. He is miles ahead of his nearest opponent. He's essentially a shoe-in um, at this point. Um, it is very likely that in power, he would be able to use his power to prevent uh, and stop investigations into the massive, like, just like truly incredible level of corruption that the Marcos family engaged in when they were the presidents of the Philippines. Um, it will also remain to be seen whether or not he will continue the uh, crackdown on 
supposedly a crackdown on drug trafficking, but in fact a crackdown on street life and um, impoverished people in general that the current president of the Philippines, Duterte, has been engaging in for the last several years. I'm going to close out this week like I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week, uh, we actually got two important things. One of them is just that this is the week in history when Berlin fell to the Soviet Union in World War II. Uh, Berlin took the city finally on May 1st, May 2nd. Uh, and that means that uh, this is also the week in history when Hitler died. Um, so congratulations, everybody. Uh, we made it again, another Hitler death anniversary, uh, an extremely important thing to celebrate. And also the fall of Nazi Germany. This is an important week in history for anti-fascism. The particular fascist that I'm going to talk about this week, however, is Theodor Oberlander, uh, who was a German operative, legislator, and political theorist who has a life both in and out of Nazi Germany. Oberlander was born in 1905 to a middle-class family and worked in agribusiness, right? You know, he was, a, he was an, an agricultural economist. He was a consultant to the USSR and also did other consulting work in the United States, uh, in other parts of Europe. He worked for the Ford Company. Uh, so this is like, you know, this is like a, a normal company man type guy. However, he joined the Nazi party in 1933, which is pretty early. So, you know, uh, he was a true believer in fascism and sort of became a Poland USSR explainer for the Nazi party. Uh, he was an expert in the region because of his history of working there as an, um, as an agricultural expert. So he was a consultant, commentator, and eventually a planner for how the Germans would be able to control and occupy these places. Specifically, what he advocated for was ethnic cleansing. He was a, an early advocate of ethnic cleansing of Jewish people and Polish people and other Slavic peoples in the East, as the German state called it at the time. This made him one of the architects of the so-called final solution, uh, which is the euphemism that the Nazi state used for the Holocaust, specifically in Eastern Europe, uh, as a means to rid the land that they had conquered of peoples that they did not want to be there and peoples that they did not want to govern. Eventually, Oberlander was sidelined from this role as a sort of Eastern explainer, uh, unfortunately for not being hardline enough because he didn't think that you needed to kill all of the Polish people. He eventually joined the Wehrmacht, that is the German army, as an officer during the occupation of Ukraine and parts of what had been Poland um, and was a military officer and worked with various collaborator groups in that region. Uh, he survived the war, and after the war was uh, deemed to be denazified. Uh, that means that uh, he was not going to be prosecuted for his participation in the Nazi party, despite the fact that it was very obvious that this man was an earnest Nazi. Uh, he worked for the United States for a brief period, uh, but eventually joined the West German government, that is the democratic government of post-war Germany, as the Minister for German Refugees after the war, uh, which was a post that looked after Germans who had moved to Germany from Eastern Europe after the war. Uh, mounting pressure uh, to remove him from office uh, increased through the late 50s and 60s uh, as his war crimes became more and more apparent. He was involved in several massacres in what is now Ukraine or Poland. Uh, this made him sidelined from politics, but he was never gone entirely. Uh, he got some like late life accolades, you know, like 
various medals for honor from Bavaria and stuff like that, uh, and was an anti-immigrant activist after the reunification of Germany. He died this week in history, essentially of old age, uh, on the 4th of May, 1998. So, Theodor Oberlander, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please uh, leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. Please tell friends, family, and comrades. If you really like the podcast, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out and all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail. 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at hist of the right, H I S T of the right, and fascism 15. Uh, that again, 15 spelled out, all one word. All right, thanks very much, and I will talk to you next week. Thank you.